Number three, the strength of marriage, the strength of marriage. And we're going to look at a decent number of passages. So turn over to Matthew chapter 19. You do have it there in your book. If, if you're trying to do too many things at one time, you can read it out of the book there. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles if you can, though. But, you know, marriage is, is this wonderful melding of, of two lives. It was designed to last. When Jesus taught on marriage, he highlighted this truth by quoting from and expounding on Genesis chapter 2, which was given to us at the very, very beginning. You know who the first man and woman were? Adam and Eve. And God said it's not good that man should be alone. And he didn't say that before Adam sin, uh, after Adam sinned. He said it before Adam sinned, which means that God designed marriage to be a perfect thing in a perfect world. Obviously, man sinned, man fell. But Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is speaking, and he says this, And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? By the way, he doesn't say male and female and everything else in between, right? There's two genders, male and female, and that was it. That's how God created them. And said, For this cause, now look, Jesus is quoting Genesis 2, Shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Boy, that sounds really familiar, doesn't it? Sounds very close to Genesis chapter 2, and that's what Jesus is quoting. Verse number 6, Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore hath God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Now, that's a very strong verse, right? Who is a judge to be able to say, okay, your marriage is annulled. I am breaking your marriage apart. Or who is a husband to say, I'm breaking this marriage apart. Or who is a wife to say, I'm breaking this marriage apart. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. God designed the bonding of marriage to be stronger than just some uh, momentarily shared interest. You know, hey, you like this, I like this, let's go get married. And then, well, when, we've, when we don't have the same likes anymore, or when you're kind of going in a different direction and I'm kind of going in a different direction, we'll call it off. That's not how God designed it. God designed marriage to last. This is, up to, this is to be a union that grows stronger through the ups and downs of life. And there's going to be ups and downs. The ups are great. The downs are bad a lot of times. Uh, but marriage is designed to, to get stronger through those times, not get weaker and fall apart and crumble and everything else. But it doesn't happen by accident. It takes purpose. It takes commitment uh, to make a marriage work. It's, it's not easy all the time. But the first thing is this. Marriage is based on commitment. Marriage, by God's design, you can write that down, that's letter A, based on commitment, is to be one man plus one woman for a lifetime. That's what God designed marriage to be. That's why at a wedding, couple exchange, uh, couples in, at the wedding exchange vows. They don't sign a contract, right? Uh, we signed a contract for this building for 36 months. At the end of that 36 months, we could renew that contract. We could, you know, we could get out of the contract. We could redo something, Right? Uh, we could break the contract. I mean, we could technically get up and walk out of this place and break that contract because it's a contract, but a vow is something different. And a vow is, is uh, you know, what we do before God and what we do as, as husband and wife. When a couple buys a home, and I know most of you have done that at some point, they sign a mortgage contract with the bank, right? Cherie is used to that. She, she worked at SunTrust for quite a while doing mortgages. When you sign a contract with the bank, um, that document includes a lot of contingencies, doesn't it? There's a lot of things in there. Uh, if, if either of the parties default specific aspects of the agreement, then the other party is released from their obligation in that contract, right? And so there's a lot of different contingencies that, that go on that. Marriage is different. A marriage ceremony is not the exchanging of contracts where, well, okay, you didn't keep your end of the deal, so now I can break mine. 
We went through in Matthew chapter, in Matthew chapter 5, and we're talking about where, where Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount hits a lot of these different ideas, and he talked about divorce, and he does give that, um, you know, when one spouse is unfaithful, uh, the option to, to, to divorce, but that was not what he intended it to be. He said, you know, Moses gave you a bill of divorcement and all of these things, but it wasn't intended to be that way. It's supposed to try to work it out. We're supposed to try to make things work, even, even if a spouse has been unfaithful and so on. And that's what it is. It's an exchanging of vows for better or for worse, right? For richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. I mean, just because one spouse didn't keep their vow to remain faithful doesn't mean, oh, well, you broke your contract, so now I can break mine. Right? That's the way we look at it a lot of times. Um, but marriage is a covenant. It's not a contract. Uh, marriage is, and, and, I, and I try to tell this to people when I, when I talk with them that are going through struggles and things like that in their marriage. Marriage is not a 50-50 proposition. I'll give 50%, you give 50%, we'll make this thing work. We'll, we'll put together and be 100%. No, marriage is a 100-100 proposition. Just because your spouse is not giving 100% doesn't mean that you back off from the 100% that you should be giving. And that's not easy. It's, not, it's a difficult thing sometimes to give 100% to a spouse that's not giving you 100% back. But that doesn't, that doesn't relieve you of your duty, especially as the husband, especially as the husband. Uh, wives are responders right? You do things, your wife is going to respond. And, and it works the other way too. You know, the wife does things for the husband. The husband's going to respond, but it's a hundred, hundred proposition. Uh, it's a hundred percent. We have to, we promise to give ourselves to each other, uh, regardless of how well the other one's doing at giving themselves back to you. Uh, we know from the Bible that, that, that God loves everybody. John chapter three, verse 16, very familiar verse, second Peter chapter three, verse nine, but he hates divorce. Look at, he says in Malachi chapter two, and if you have a hard time turning to Malachi, that's right there. But Malachi chapter 2, it says this in verse number 14. Yet ye say, wherefore? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. Did he not make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one? That he might seek a, good, a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. You know what he's talking about? A spouse who was unfaithful. And he says, that's the wife of your youth. That's the, that's the one that God gave you to marry. I hate the putting away. I hate divorce. That's what he's talking about. Now, if you've, if you've gone through the, the tragedy of a divorce, you understand better than anyone how painful the severing of a marriage is. And I know it's, it's, it's not an easy thing to go to. And, and the purpose here is not to stand in judgment of somebody that's been divorced and all of that kind of stuff. Those things happen, especially uh, before salvation and things like that. But whether or not you've been divorced in the past, we, we, we do have the challenge before us to make last what we have now. And if you've never been divorced, then that's even better. But it's, it's up to us to make sure that we are being and doing what God wants us to do so that that marriage will last. Because it's not a contract. Marriage is a commitment. God didn't design 
marriage to be a, well, let's see if it works proposition. You know, that's what, that's what it's turning into nowadays with marriage, but also with people who just, you know, well, what's the point of getting married? You know, the only thing marriage is is a contract so that if you die, I get everything you have. Let's just, you know, we, let's just live together. And if it doesn't work, then we separate and there's no legal problems and all that kind of stuff. And unfortunately, that's kind of the way the government is going today to make that very easy for that to happen. Um, but it's not a, well, let's see if it works proposition. It's we marry, and this is a covenant, and we're in this thing for life. You can't go anywhere because you're mine, you know? Uh, and and that's, not, you know, that's not what it's supposed to be necessarily, but that's essentially what it is. That's how we ought to look at it. And if, and if, you, if the word divorce is not part of your vocabulary when it comes to your marriage, then you know what's going to happen? You're going to fight and fight and fight and fight for that marriage to work. If you have no, well, I, I knew it wasn't going to work anyway, so let's just get a divorce. No, if divorce is not a part of it, then you're going to do everything you can to fight for that marriage and to make it work. Now, the second thing is this. It's based on commitment, but secondly, it is a picture of Christ's love. It's a picture of Christ's love. We have a lot of verses here. We're going to go through them very quickly. But if you're familiar with Genesis, you know that in the chapter directly after Adam and Eve were married, the same two people disobeyed God. And through their disobedience, sin entered into the world, death entered into the world. The Bible says that in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, right? Wherefore, by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men. That's part of the curse. That's the fall, as we refer to it. But it was, it was so significant that the Bible tells us that its effects reverberated through creation itself. And they certainly touch every aspect of our lives. Romans chapter 8 and verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Every marriage since, including ours, including yours, uh, has been composed of two sinners, right? Never been one perfect husband and an imperfect wife or a perfect wife and an imperfect husband, right? It's never been that way. It's two imperfect people coming together and trying to make marriage last and trying to make marriage work. So every obstacle that we face in marriage, every, every misplaced ex expectation, every fight, every, every lonely fear that we, that we go through, every bitter word, every frustration, all of it is the outcome of the fall. It's the outcome of sin. And so if you think about it this way, the more we can eliminate sin in our own lives, the more the husband eliminates sin in his wife, the more the wife eliminates sin in her life, then the more you're going to live in the way that God intended for us to live, and that's without sin. Now, we're never going to be perfect. We're always going to be imperfect people, but that's the way that God intended for us to live, and that's how he wants us to do it. So marriage itself is a perfect journey. It's a special creation of God, but it's undertaken by imperfect people, and we're going to make mistakes. We're going to slip. We're going to fall. We're going to say things that we wish we hadn't said. We're going to do things we wish we hadn't done, but we can make it work. We enter marriage with that longing to experience everything that God created it to be, even if we don't fully understand what it means, or even if we don't uh, fully understand that it's God who implanted those desires in our hearts. But we undertake this journey as sinners who are trying to get to be where God wants us to be. Let's look at a couple verses here, and then we'll be finished. Genesis 3 and verse 15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Right? That happened right after the fall. God created marriage to be perfect. But because of the imperfection of humans, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. God took on human flesh. Jesus offered himself as the complete substitute for our sin. We know that. That's what the cross was all about. We know from the Bible that the payment for that sin is death. That's eternal separation from God 
in hell forever because of that sin. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Jesus died in our place, and he offers us that full pardon. We're sinners, but we don't have to pay for that sin because Jesus Christ offered us that forgiveness of God as a gift. Romans 5, 8, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6, 23, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He promises us that if we call out to him for salvation, that he'll save us. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He says that in Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But does all, what does all that have to do with marriage? And are we just reviewing the gospel? That's what that is. Those verses that you have right there in front of you is the gospel in a nutshell. Actually, God's amazing plan for salvation and his amazing plan for marriage are linked together. Because what we only see in part in the Old Testament, marriage, is revealed in the New Testament as a mystery which, is, which was really embedded since the beginning. And that's the gospel. And so I, I, I don't want to go too long here, but when you remember the big picture of Jesus Christ's love showing through you, that translates into our marriage, right? Oh, we, we, I want to be what God wants me to be to my neighbors. I want to be what God wants me to be in this community so that we can be a light for him. And then we go home and we act like it doesn't matter at home, right? We ought to be what God wants us to be in our marriage as well. And if we're building on the right foundation, if we're building on that solid foundation, we, you know, we're going to work through this, this series over the next few weeks. And our goal is to not have great marriages with no effort. It's to discover through God's word how we can put the effort into it to have the marriage that God wants us to have. And it does take work. You're not just going to walk home and, well, we've been through this series now. Everything's going to be perfect. It's not that way. It takes work. It takes effort to make it work. But... Marriage was designed by God to be perfect. And we have to work at it to make it perfect. The husband has to be what God wants him to be. The wife has to be what God wants her to be. And when you're both trying to do what God wants you to do, it's going to bring you closer together. It's going to make your marriage stronger. It's going to make your family stronger. But look, all of it starts with the right foundation. If you're not building your marriage and your family on Jesus Christ, then you're building on sand. Right? You guys went to the beach. I don't know if you saw anybody. Did anybody build sandcastles while you were down there? You can build the biggest, nicest sandcastle. It's all sand. And as soon as the water comes up, as soon as the storms come, it's gone. And that's exactly what happens. You can have all the money in the world. You can have the nicest house, the nicest car. You can have everything that somebody looking at it from the outside would say, what a perfect marriage. But then the storms come and it crumbles, it falls apart, and this husband goes this way, the wife goes this way. We can't make it work. You know why? Because it was built on the wrong foundation. When you build your marriage and your family on Jesus Christ, then you're building on the right foundation. And it doesn't matter whether the storms come. Those storms are only going to make your house, your marriage, stronger. And that's why it's so important. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother. You see that in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 31. Shall be joined unto his wife, and they, shall, they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Well, there's a lot more that we have to talk about about that, and we'll get into that over the next few weeks, all right? Let's pray, and we'll be ready for the next service. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. What a blessing it is to be here this morning. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather around your word. I thank you for allowing us to, to be here in this community for three years. I thank you for the opportunity we have to celebrate our anniversary in this building. 
But a tremendous answer to prayer it was that you got us here. I thank you for Brother Tony being able to be here and preach for us this morning. Pray that you'd fill him with your power as he preaches, and that, that as the gospel goes out, that it would, that it would land on, on uh, soft hearts that would be willing to accept it and make sure that they know for sure that they're going to heaven when they die. God, I pray that you would be lifted up by everything we do here this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.